This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. And that's bwhustle.com slash join. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey. I am Ben Goetz, one of the Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers. On the other line is my colleague, Dave Shane. Dave, we are back after a brief holiday-related hiatus. Uh, How were the festivities in your neck of the woods? Good. Good. Happy holidays to you. I uh, ate a little bit of uh, Chinese food, as is tradition around Christmas. Uh, enjoyed some football, got a bowl victory to enjoy. So, you know, just ready for some hockey now. Yeah, I am absolutely ready for hockey as well. And we're going to have a lot of hockey uh, really quickly. And we're going to get into all of kind of the plans that the NHL has laid out because uh, last week, which we took off to kind of, you know, celebrate a little bit and just get a break before we kind of drink water out of a fire hose for basically the next seven months. Uh, The league released all its plans for the upcoming 2021 season. A lot of these kind of uh, plans had been long rumored and we even discussed a bunch of them, but now that it's official, we're going to go through them once again. Uh, We're also, of course, going to talk about uh, kind of the Knights training camp preview because they start training camp only in like four to five days. Dave, they start on Sunday and we're recording this uh, on Wednesday, which is just nuts. Uh, and of course, we have to talk about Derek England, one of the kind of faces of the Knights franchise from the inaugural season until uh, now, really announcing his retirement. He, of course, will be staying 
with the team, just in a different capacity. Um, but I'm so excited to get to all that. Uh, before we do, I want to quick mention that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Indeed and Favorshot, drinkoffavor.com. Uh, also, please remember to check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com because, uh, as is the case every year, we're going to lay out a ton of, obviously, season preview content for you guys. And then once training camp hits, we're just going to be throw a bunch of stuff at you because uh, I'm certainly excited to write about hockey again. I know Dave is as well. So get excited for a lot of cool stuff on the site. Uh, and also, of course, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, please do this one. Uh, that would be appreciated. Uh, so the NHL's official announcement uh, for the 2021 season included 56 games, all within divisions, and the first two rounds of the playoffs are going to be division only as well. Uh, the Knights are in the West with Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Los Angeles, Minnesota, San Jose, and St. Louis. Uh, as I said, training camp already starts Sunday, uh, which is wild. And the team basically has uh, 10 practice days and no preseason games to get ready uh, before they open at home uh, against Anaheim on January 14th. Uh, fans, as of this moment, are not allowed uh, to attend um, I mentioned there's going to be a lot of hockey coming at us really quickly. That's because those 56 games are going to take place in 115 days. So basically, we're averaging a game every other day here. Uh, the regular season for the Knights is going to end on May 8th. And to give you guys just the rest of the key dates really quick in case you're not familiar with them, uh, the latest the Stanley Cup is going to be awarded is July 15th. The Seattle expansion draft, uh, which the Knights don't have to participate in as a reminder, at least in terms of getting up a player, they could still participate and get involved in some trades, but they will not be forking over a player, and in turn, they don't get the expansion fee money from Seattle. Uh, but that expansion draft is taking place July 21st. Uh, the entry draft is July 23rd and 24th, and free agency is going to start on July 28th. Uh, in terms of the schedule, because as I said, they're fitting in a lot of games Really quickly, the Knights have eight back-to-backs in there, uh, which is tied for you know the 15th most among NHL teams. It's right in the middle. Uh, San Jose is the only one to have 12 back-to-backs, and three teams only have six. Dave, it was a lot to process uh, what I just said. It was a lot to process when all this came out. But now that we have it all down in writing, I guess, what are your overall thoughts on the schedule and the season format? Well, I mean, I guess maybe what jumps out is we heard, you know, kind of the horror stories of what this was supposed to be like. You know, all these back-to-backs and everything condensed and we're going to need two goalies and and you're going to need, you know, all kinds of depth and all this stuff. And then you look at it and it's like, well, the you know, the back-to-backs aren't like whatever. The travel's less. I mean, it's interesting to me, the whole notion of like, I guess, like kind of the two game series or two game sets blocks, however you want to say it, that the way that it's set up, I, I know you and I were kind of speculating. I wonder if that's something going forward that the players are going to push for if they if they find out that they like this, if we could see that in the future. But I guess in terms of the the night schedule specifically, the the two things that probably jumped out were. The beginning of the schedule, which is 12 of 16 at home and and sort of the chance for the Knights to get off to a good start. And then that four game stretch against Colorado, obviously that one jumped out too. And we'll see kind of where things are and, and you know, how important four games can be and what will happen there. You know, if you lose four, if you go one and three, if you get three points out of, you know, whatever it might be, you know, It'll be neat to see, but but just that four games 
right in a row against a team that, you know, potentially is, you know, your main competition, I guess, for the number one seed coming out of that division or the division title. Obviously, St. Louis is going to be right there. But uh, th- that that stretch, especially that against Colorado, I think is is going to be key. And and then the end too, you know, ending with uh, with St. Louis, those, those games uh, at the end there, that that can be fun, especially if there's, uh, you know, any sort of rivalry that builds up in the games before that with uh, Alex Petrangelo facing his former team. Yeah, it's going to be truly wild to kind of go through all the implications of the schedule setup. Uh, so if people have done the math, basically the Knights are going to play each team in their division eight times. As Dave mentioned, there's one stretch where they're going to get half those games against Colorado down uh, in a row. And they're going to play uh, each team essentially two times in a row. Uh, there's no, I guess, one-offs for lack of a better word, where they're going to play, say, the Avalanche one night and then immediately play, you know, the Blues their next game or whatever. It's at least two games in a row against each team. And as Dave said, that can grow up to like four games in a row against the Avalanche. Uh, so something, you know, we were talking about uh, yesterday, Dave, that I find interesting about all this is that it, you kind of mentioned it's kind of like a college hockey series, which uh, both of us maybe uniquely among hardcore hockey people uh, grew up really loving college hockey. Like I went to uh, University of Minnesota games uh, as a child more often than I went to Minnesota Wild games. And that was something I really liked as a kid knowing like, all right, cool. Like we get Duluth this weekend and it's like hate Duluth weekend or to attack your alma mater, like hate Wisconsin weekend or whatever. And I am curious how that's going to play in the NHL. Um, And with that, I'm curious how the players are going to like it because what this does in terms of playing each team at least twice in a row and only playing within your division is even though Minnesota and St. Louis have kind of been shoehorned into this, you know, quote unquote West division, uh, the Knights travel is just down a ton compared to an average season. Um, I was doing the math yesterday and I'll write a story on this at some point during training camp. But the Knights' uh, travel schedule this year essentially is going to average out to about 127 miles, you know, per day, and that's basically half of what they averaged the last time they did a full season in 2018-19. Each time they take a trip, they're going to go approximately 144 fewer miles compared to a trip that they took in their last full season, and they're traveling about once every 5.4 days this season compared to uh, once once per every 3.3 days uh, in that 2018-19 season. So I'm really curious to how a lot of this is going to end up affecting how things shake out because you kind of mentioned, Dave, the rivalry aspect of like, are we going to see growing animosity between these teams as we get these college hockey-like series? And then also I'm curious, you know, what I guess the quality of play is going to be like if it's going to be any different than a normal season because these guys are going to be traveling a lot less. They're going to be on planes a lot less. But on the other hand, they will be playing slightly more often. Yeah, I mean, I think the natural, you know, sort of fan reaction to, is, is to think about the goalies when, when we talk about that situation. And, you know, if there's not travel and all that, how is Pete DeBoer going to handle, you know, the workload with Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury? Is it going to be close to 50-50? Is he going to, you know, lean on Robin Leonard or whoever is the hot hand if it's Marc-Andre Fleury? Uh, I think it gives him a little more flexibility than maybe going into the season he he probably envisioned having, I think everybody thought it would be a little more condensed 
than it seems to have turned out to be in terms of just the, the college hockey aspect of it. And I, I'm sure you can speak to this. I had season tickets as a student and you go to the, like the Friday night game and it's the number one goalies and everybody kind of throws their best shot at it and, and whatever. Right. And if there's something that happens, if there's anything lingering, if there was a hit, an incident, like whatever you show up for that Saturday night game and that place has got a whole different buzz and everybody's just waiting and, and, Oh, it's so good. Like, I don't want to sound like a Neanderthal knuckle dragging, you know, fight, fight, fight kind of guy, but it, it's the best thing about college hockey is that tension coming into the Saturday night game. If that, that there just might be an explosion. And if there's something like that, that can build in the NHL with these, you know, you're playing Anaheim a lot, playing LA a lot, you know, playing San Jose a lot, all these rivalries that could potentially build. And then if there's something in the playoffs, because like you mentioned, everything is interdivision. So you don't win, you don't win the division and get the number one seed and then get some wild card from like, the central or whatever you're getting a team from your division again so it sets up so much for for this season and and the future of just you know rivalries and excitement and and different things that that we could talk about different flashpoints different talking points Uh, again I'm, i'm curious to see if this is a format that the players and the league and the fans really like and gravitate toward and then if going forward when we're able to get back to you know quote unquote normal by you know, 21-22 season, as Gary Bettman said, that they're hopeful for. If maybe they do this in the schedule and there are a little bit more of these blocks and in two-game kind of sets, I guess you could say, to to reduce some of the travel and maybe increase some of the rivalries. Yeah, I think we're both uh, very intrigued and kind of hopeful about how this is going to work just because, like I said, we both kind of have that college hockey fan background. But one thing I'm interested to get your thoughts on to play devil's advocate a little bit is it struck me, you know, the other day, like constantly right now to get ready for the season, as I'm sure you're doing. I'm reading a ton of stuff, uh, you know, just nationally about the NHL and different teams and different team previews. And, you know, OK, let me refresh what happened with this group in the offseason. Are they going to be better? Are they going to be worse? How are they going to fit in this division? Yada, yada, yada. And what struck me about a lot of those is that it will have absolutely zero bearing, most likely, on what happens to the Knights this season. Uh, So, like, for example, I've been reading a lot about the Chicago Blackhawks recently because they've had a ton of injuries, including to uh, Kirby Doc, who's one of their, you know, top prospects, was their second line center in the series against the Knights uh, this past postseason. And he's going to be out for the entire year. And how does that affect them? And it struck me that was like, well, in relation to the Knights, it doesn't affect them at all because in all likelihood, the Knights are not going to play against the Blackhawks this year. The only way the Knights are going to play a team that is not in their division is if they uh, basically make it past the first two rounds of the playoffs and are in the NHL's uh, final four, essentially. So it also is going to be weird to me, Dave, that essentially three quarters of the league there's a very strong chance whatever happens there will not matter to the Knights whatsoever this season. And that's still kind of crazy for me to like wrap my head around. Yeah, and that's a fair point. And, and I think it's true. I, I know for me, my focus is all of a sudden much more narrow and it's, and it's on, you know, eight, basically eight or 19, you know, whatever it is in the division. 
it's the Knights and then those other seven teams for the most part. Like you said, I'm not worried about, you know, oh, Kirby Doc got hurt at the World Junior. Oh, okay. But, you know, not going to affect the Knights, you know, all the Canadian division stuff. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, I, you know, follow it from a distance, but the focus is so much more narrowed on just those teams. I, I mean, I actually had to catch myself the other day when I saw Mike Hoffman had signed the PTO. And then, I mean, obviously, he's going to sign a contract with the Blues. I was like, oh, okay. And then I went, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's directly affecting the Knights now. That's not a central division team that, oh, maybe they'll see, you know, in the playoffs, I'll see three times during the regular season. No, they're going to see them eight times. Like, like that's a big deal, actually. So, yeah, I, I think you kind of learn a little bit. And I hope readers took it, you know, took advantage of, of your layout for the West division and kind of the insight that you, you you were able to provide on all the teams, little capsules, glimpse of, of what fans can expect. Uh, some of the teams that they don't really know a whole heck of a lot about. I mean, you know, the Knights saw, you know, Minnesota three times a year and we just always talked about how they struggled with them. Uh, that was it. That's pretty much all you really knew about them. You know, you don't know a whole lot. Obviously Colorado's good. You see them a little bit, you know, St. Louis, same thing. But now all of a sudden as a Knights fan, as a media you know, your focus is so much more narrow and it's going to be on those teams. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time. There are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash blue wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Through December 31st, terms and conditions apply. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots? Bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily Favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. 
Yeah, and I think the point that you brought up uh, is fascinating about everything that happens within the division now gets magnified too. Because even, you know, in a normal season, you're playing a division opponent like four to five times out of 82 games. Well, now all of a sudden it's one seventh of your entire schedule is, you know, the Blues or the Wild or whatever. So if something significant happens to one of those teams, it has a significant impact on your schedule. And, you know, like I said, I think we both feel that's kind of exciting for this year and we're eager to see how it shakes out. But it is for sure going to be different. Um, And now I want to quick shift into getting ready for this most unusual season, because as I've already said, uh, training camp is literally right around the corner, which is also something I'm struggling to wrap my brain around. Yeah, me, me uh, the, Knights are expect- <laughs> <laughs> the Knights are expected to have everyone there and healthy, uh, except for at least at the start, uh, Peyton Krebs, their top prospect, who's currently competing for Team Canada at the World Juniors, and potentially uh, Caden Korzak, who is a defenseman's second round pick in 2019. Uh, who's also at the World Juniors as well. Uh, General Manager Kelly McCrimmon basically said Krebs is for sure going to get the invite to training camp. They're allowed, I believe, 38 skaters and an unlimited number of goalies. Not sure if Korzak's going to get the invite. I would assume he's at least on the short list for a potential spot. Um, so good news for the Knights. That means Robin Leonard, who had off-season shoulder surgery, and Cody Glass, who had right knee surgery in March, uh, should be good to go. Uh, there's going to be... A lot of intrigue, I think, around this training camp, not just because guys are going to be competing for roster spots, potentially, or at least roles within the NHL roster, because I think most of those roster spots are going to be pretty pretty much set heading into camp. Uh, but there's also going to be a taxi squad this year. And so how it works this year, because I think people have heard this term in the past, and there was even a taxi squad during the postseason, is that each team is going to be allowed to have a group of four to six players that are going to uh, travel and practice with the team, potentially. Uh, They don't necessarily have to travel, because obviously that's an extra expense for the team, but they can. And so they're just going to be on hand in case injuries or, obviously, COVID-19 issues emerge. And so then teams have this extra group of players on hand that could then jump into the lineup. Uh, There must be at least one goalie on there, and players that have to pass through waivers to get to the minors also have to pass through waivers to get to the taxi squad. So it really does work in terms of, you know, sending guys up and down and how it affects the salary cap, similarly to AHL call-ups and AHL call-downs. And McCrimmon said to expect a lot of churn on that taxi squad so that guys on the squad have a chance to get in games somewhere. He doesn't want a guy just kind of sitting on the taxi squad all year and not getting games in at either the NHL uh, or the AHL level because... It was announced today that the AHL is going to go ahead and start on February 5th, which is good news uh, for the Golden Knights organization as a whole. And, of course, good news for the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, But one thing that this has me intrigued about, Dave, is we talked, I think, ad nauseum last year because the Golden Knights were so pressed up against the cap about how they use kind of the AHL system as a way to, uh, you know, help out massage their salary cap situation as much as possible uh poor nicholas wah was someone who uh, fell victim to that where he got sent up and down more than 30 times because each time he wasn't on the nhl roster the night saved a sliver of cap space guys like uh nicholas hag and cody glass 
and uh, Zach Whitecloud to a lesser extent were victims of that as well. Uh, I would anticipate, Dave, that this taxi squad provides the Knights a large opportunity to do that exact same thing again, just doing it with the taxi squad instead of the AHL. Uh, do you think we're going to see basically an explosion of paper transactions when it comes to this uh, taxi squad with the way the rules are set up? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how they, uh, and I'll use the word manipulate, I guess, the, the system um, and make it work. I mean, you know, if you go on cap friendly right now, they're over by, you know, what, almost a million, but that includes Carl Dahlstrom which I think you can probably take him out. I mean, what, you know, you can expect the Knights to probably have a roster that looks like 12 forwards, six defensemen, two goalies. Like that's what you go in bare minimum. You're not really like scratching guys, probably technically, you know, to make sure that they're cap compliant, you can roll with the roster at 20 and then you've got guys on the, on the taxi squad. And, and if you need them, they can come up and down, you know, you can probably send different guys to the taxi squad. If you need to make those paper transactions, like you said, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, somebody like Cody Glass, who's still waiver exempt and, and how that works. And and if they're able to kind of use that, um, you know, to kind of make sure that they're compliant. I, you know, Kelly McCrimmon said that they will be cap compliant on January 12th. Obviously, they will. The NHL won't let them do anything and go forward unless they unless they are. I don't expect, you know, they don't need to trade Max Patch already seven million dollar salary cap hit to get salary cap compliant as we've talked about. So, you know, it'll probably be these types of moves. Those, like you said, paper transactions that get them under. And I, you know, the one question I had, I wasn't, wasn't able to ask Kelly McCrimmon. I would have liked to is what his thought is on the, the taxi squad in terms of the salary cap. Does it help them? Does it hinder what they need to do? Does it, you know, allow them a little bit more flexibility, I guess, to, to get under the cap without having to make a lot of moves or, or maybe it's just a complete wash and maybe it's the exact same thing as sending a guy, you know, down to the AHL. So it would have been nice to hear his perspective. Maybe at some point we will hear it, but yeah, I, I think it's almost, you know, in a way sort of the, you know, the AHL waiver wire 2.0, I guess you could say. Yeah. And to make it clear for why this is kind of, I guess an interesting deal for how it affects the Knights is how the salary cap works is that it's technically counted uh, every day. And so every day the Knights kind of stay under it. They get kind of a, a small amount of savings and how it worked last year is that small amount of savings. They were able to build up by all these kind of paper transactions of setting guys up and down from the AHL allowed them to have more cap space at the trade deadline. And that's what helped them acquire guys like Alec Martinez and uh, really the big one, uh, Robin Leonard. And so you would anticipate because the Knights obviously have super high expectations for the season again, they're going to do that a bunch to try to get as much cap space as they can by the trade deadline so that if there's something they think they need to potentially gear up for a Stanley Cup run, because this division with the Blues and the Avalanche is not going to be the easiest one to get out of, uh, that they're able to make that kind of move. Uh, we'll see how that kind of goes. Moving forward, and then uh, one last thing I want to talk about, because this was huge news that happened last week, is Derek England, uh, Golden Knights defenseman, announced his retirement as a player after 671 NHL games. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, he's going to remain with the organization uh, as a special assistant to the owner, owner Bill Foley, for the Vegas Golden Knights Foundation. Uh, 
England meant just so much to this franchise. He had his We Are Vegas Strong speech at the first ever Knights home game. Uh, he got to lift the Clarence S. Campbell Bowl after the Knights defeated the Winnipeg Jets in the 2018 Western Conference Final. Uh, he did a ton of work around the community, and I don't think you can kind of overstate how much of a pillar he was uh, for this franchise. Um, I also feel like, you know, just from an on-ice perspective, and I feel like this kind of happens to a lot of guys as they get towards the end of their careers. We focus so much on, you know, whether they're contributing to the team right now or where their games are at, because obviously Derek England kind of got phased out this past season in favor of uh, rookie defenseman Zach Whitecloud. But it is, you know, truly remarkable to kind of look back and reflect on the career that Derek England ultimately had. I mean, this is a guy, Dave, that made his NHL debut at age 27, and then he still managed to play in the league for 11 years, and there's just not many guys that are able to do that, right? And do it the way that he did it. I mean, he he literally had to fight his way to the NHL, you know, brawling guys in the minors. And then once he got to the NHL, he had a fight to stay there and, and prove that, that he could be a guy that, you know, people didn't want to be around and, and created space for his teammates. One of my questions to him was about the Colton Orr fight. And I don't mean to glorify it. You know, I, I, I don't mean to, again, like sound like the knuckle dragger, you know, that he knocked him out in that fight, but that was a big moment in his career. And, and he's a guy that came up doing those sorts of things and proved that he could be a hockey player along the way. I mean, not to, you know, make the Ryan Reeves comparison. And I thought it was funny, you know, Ryan Reeves in the, the farewell video tribute to uh, Derek England, a lot of sarcasm in there, certainly mentioning the, uh, the fights that they've had along the way. But, you know, I think there's some similarities with those guys in terms of, you know, you come up and you have a reputation as being, you know, a tough physical guy, somebody who will stand up for teammates and, and things like that. But you have to prove you can play hockey along the way. And, and Derek England did that. He signed, you know, free agent contract in Calgary. The Golden Knights thought enough of him in the expansion draft. He, he mentioned this before. He thought if they were going to be interested, that they would just go after him in free agency. But the Golden Knights wanted to use an expansion draft pick on Derek England to bring him back. I, I think it just speaks to, you know, what he turned himself into as a player, the hard work. And then especially that first year with the Knights, you know, how motivated he was to perform in his hometown, you know, obviously not being born and raised here, but living here and living here for a long time and being a part of the community. Like you mentioned, he was really, really, really motivated that first year. And you saw how well he played and, and the impact it had on the community. And, you know, I, I think it's cool. And, and I know a lot of people had always sort of pushed, you know, Oh, Derek England, when he retires, he's, he's going to, he's going to work for the team and it's automatic and this and that. And I, like I was always like, oh, it's not automatic. Maybe he doesn't want to, but you know, the fact that he is the fact they were able to work something out and he'll still be, you know, a presence and representing Vegas and the Golden Knights. I think it's a good thing for, for hockey in this city as a whole. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm going to ask you if you have a favorite, I guess, Derek England story to share. And if, uh, before you do, I can, share a mind that I think of, and I shared this on the day he retired. But one of my favorite stories I ever wrote uh, that involved Derek England was at the beginning of last season, and we knew the Knights were going to have some you know, young people coming up on the blue line, so I asked all the veteran defensemen kind of, what do you remember about your debut, your first year, what advice 
would you have for an up and coming guy? And uh, Derek England talked about his debut where, as I've mentioned earlier, he was 27. I mean, he went through so, so many games in the minors to kind of get to a point where someone would give him an NHL opportunity, including, of course, famously, you know, playing for the Las Vegas Wranglers for uh, parts of two seasons, I believe. And he finally gets called up. He's 27. Uh, Alex Goligoski, who's a former gopher, by the way, to tie it all back to college hockey, is sick. So the Pittsburgh Penguins need Derek England to come up and uh, fill a spot on the blue line. And then right before puck drop, Alex Goligoski's like, never mind, I'm better. And Derek England doesn't get to make his long-awaited NHL debut until the Penguins are nice and let him in the next game. And in that game, one of the Penguins' defensemen gets hurt. So all of a sudden, Derek England goes from being a guy who would wait so long for a shot to being part of a five-man blue line. And I think he played like 19 minutes in his first NHL game in front of, of course, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. And I believe Fleury got a shutout that game. Um, So I'll never forget that story just kind of how, I mean, crazy that must have been for Derek England, who worked so, so hard to get up through the minors. And then finally, it looks like he's going to get his shot only for, you know, the guy he's supposed to replace, you know, throwing up his hand and being like, no, don't worry, I'm good. And being forced to have his dream deferred just that little bit more. Uh, David, is there any, I guess, stories or moments that uh, stick out to you when it comes to Derek England? Yeah, a couple. So one I want to add. So Seth Rohrbach from from Pittsburgh um, put out a picture of Derek England like when he got called up and he had like a black eye, looked all like he had been in like a war or whatever the day, you know, a couple days before. It was like the most quintessential Derek England picture. Did you happen to see that? It was perfect. Oh, I did not. But yeah, that it's, amazing. it's like it was so Derek England. It was so great. Like on the day that he, that he retires, that thing was circulating and it totally encapsulated him. But I, I think, you know, it's always funny to me, you know, from the media side of things, because Derek England just loathed talking to the media. And it wasn't anything personal against us. He just he just hated talking to the media. So it was always funny, like every time to like see him come out, and he'd just be like, oh, God, you know, and just kind of like, you know, really, Dave? I, you know, yeah, you know, I'll be quick. You know, I always thought that was funny and, and whatever, because I, I get it. Like, I can respect that. But I think the thing that stands out for me, you know, it's obvious the speech, but what really jumps out for me, what I think about is the goal that he scored in that home opener. And I know like Tomas Nosek is the answer to the trivia question and who got the, you know, the first goal in the home opener and all those sorts of things. But of all people to score, Derek England, you know, who hardly ever scores and had just, you know, made the speech and was the hometown guy and everything that came with it like that that, that's just that goal seemed like something was shining on on that arena in this city at that time It, it it just for him to do it i think is is the one thing that really stands out for me from that night i there was so much more but but really you know i just i wonder where that puck is you know, like, what did Derek Ealing do with that puck? If I was him, I don't think I would ever score a goal that that would stand out more unless it won a Stanley Cup. So, uh, you know, th- there's a lot that that comes with a guy. And, and you know, he plays for 11 years, like you said, and, and everything, you know, leadership-wise that he did. But that one goal, 
I think, man, if I was him, like he said that one day about, about sitting in the hot tub, having a, a glass of wine and you think, holy bleep, you know, how far we've come. I, that would be the one, if I'm thinking about a goal and, and what makes me smile, if I'm him, man, that one would make me go, holy bleep. Like, I can't believe that one went in. Yeah. It was a special goal. Like I said, it was a special career. And so hats off to uh, him in retirement and hopefully he enjoys the new job. Uh, for Dave and I, we're back to work as well because, like I said, training camp for the Knights already starts on Sunday. So make sure to check back to ReviewJournal.com for all our coverage. Uh, we'll, of course, keep you guys up to date. Moving forward here as to what we're seeing around the team because things are going to get in full swing very, very uh, quickly. A quick reminder to you guys to rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts. Please do to this one. It would be very much appreciated. Also, a reminder that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Indeed and Favorshot, drinkafavor.com. Once again, hope everyone had a safe and happy holiday. We're so excited to be back talking about hockey in the very, very near future. Uh, For Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon.